Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and it's a privilege to have you with me today. Myself and Kaza are not in the same place at the moment, so it's just me again this week, so I hope that's okay with you. So on to today's show, what have we got coming up? Well, of course, we have the regular feature with the property chatter. And today we're going to be taking a deeper dive looking into our deals with uh, property research. We'll make that as uh, interesting as we can for you. Then under the Vo- Your Voice segment, I'm going to share the current results of a one-question survey uh, which is based on our audience and what they th- who they think is going to be occupying number 10 Downing Street from next month with the general election just around the corner. Finally, the shout-out. Now, I've got to be honest, I was tempted to keep this all to myself, but what the heck, I am going to share with you a link to a very addictive and yet very ad- um, educational game that I'll share with you a little later, so make sure you hang around and, uh, and don't miss that one. Okay then, let's get started. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So today's topic, as I mentioned, is uh, is property investing research. Um, I'll also use the term due diligence throughout this discussion today. So those two terms will be used interchangeably and uh, hopefully elaborate a little bit more in terms of what it means. But before we get into that, I just want to share really, it's, it's funny, isn't it, sometimes how, how other people see us. And and sometimes that view of us is you know matches our expectations and sometimes it doesn't, and and this happened to me back in, uh, in I think it was around about January 2014 when uh, Rob Dix from the Property Geek he invited me to be a get an interview interviewee on his podcast and um, in the preamble to to that interview he said he saw me as being strong in two main areas at the time and I think this was based on my uh, my posts on the Scoop It platform which is what I was mostly known for and prominent with at that point in time and those two things he said were strategy and research well I wasn't really surprised uh, to hear the word strategy mentioned Uh, other people had said the same thing and it's something I you know I do like to spend a lot of time on I do talk about quite a lot and perhaps I do think of it think of it as a strength but I wasn't really expecting to hear the word research mentioned and this this really sort of at the time took me aback I suppose so um, it's interesting I think how other people see you and and I I always like to get insights because perhaps it can open up possibilities uh, that we don't really recognize in ourselves but I really shouldn't have been surprised actually because um, I I do have quite a uh, a structured approach to research and uh, many years ago now I think it was I did the Belbin um, you know team team uh, role evaluation exercise and uh, resource investigator which is perhaps another way of uh, phrasing uh, research came out as one of my strengths not my absolute strength but certainly one of them so maybe I prefer to do the uh, strategy side of things but uh, I can I, I seem to be quite adept at doing the research side of it so moving on. Uh, as I mentioned, research and due diligence are, are two words that I'm going to use interchangeably. And and really, uh, just to kind of set the scene, they, they boil down to the, the same concept in, in property. And, and that is one of, uh, quite literally, covering our backsides. 
covering our backs and to make sure we don't get bitten by any nasty surprises. So that's really the point of research, just to make sure that we, we don't get exposed in some way. And, uh, and so therefore, it's a very necessary and important part that we, uh, we need to undertake as part of our, uh, our property journey. Now, just like a, a lack of proper research can cost us dearly, as you might imagine, because uh, we could end up exposing ourselves to unnecessary risks, so too can um, you know doing too much research, and and uh, that can actually lead to procrastination, you know, delays in decisions, and not really doing anything, and and that's really become known as what's uh, as, uh, as what's been commonly known rather as uh, analysis paralysis, and uh, and that can be equally as stifling. So we need to strike the right balance such that we don't do too little research on the one side uh, and therefore get burnt too easily or on the other side we don't over go over the top and, and really just don't do anything uh, because we're spending all our time researching researching and checking things out so a property investor can't really call themselves an investor unless they do something but similarly an investor that ventures too far and into risky unqualified ventures may find themselves washed up on the rocks a little bit too too soon and, and that's no good either so what is what is my own approach to research these concepts of research and, and due diligence? Um, well, I like to come up with some kind of analogy to help describe topics. Um, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago we had the right property strategy uh, from our opening episode. Well, well, today uh, I hope I don't make you cry because I'm going to talk be talking about peeling onions. <laughs> So if you remember the exchange between uh, Shrek, uh, the ogre in, in the film by the same name Shrek, and Donkey, um, you'll know that uh, he, he was uh, making the point that ogres have layers, just like an onion. Of course, ogres and people generally have many layers. You know, as we peel back more and more, we reveal more of ourselves. But so too does property research, and that's really where my analogy comes from. So rather than peeling onions, it's peeling layers off the onion, which is what I'm going to be talking about today. So possibly one of the oddest analogies you might find in a property investing podcast, but I thought I'd give, you a go, uh, give that a go, and uh, hopefully it's quite a visual thing for you. So, so thinking of, of layers, we, we start at the outside and we, we work our way in in order to get more comfortable. And in this respect, I adopt a, a three-layer approach with my property in, investing and, and research in particular. Now, level one is, uh, is a quick pre-screen. Um, followed, you know, if necessary, by level two, which is going slightly deeper, but still primarily desk-based research from my point of view. And then level three is deeper still and perhaps going a bit broader. And this often involves other people um, and leaving the desk and, you know, getting out there and visiting properties and this sort of thing. So very simply, I'm going to break down what I'm talking about into into those three layers. So the, the pre-screen, the, uh, the, the layer two, which is the uh, desk-based research, and layer three, which potentially involves other people. And continuing with the with the layers theme, if you remember the sequence that I've been advocating we follow over the last couple of weeks, and not necessarily in sequence, but certainly, um, you know, in order, I mean, that certainly a, a sequence of events, we, we would normally start with our, our you know, our, pr our purpose, our reason why, and our goals in terms of property investing. Uh, and, and for good reason, obviously. And, um, and then, of course, we choose an ideal property strategy or perhaps strategies. Uh, it's important not to have too many, especially when we're starting out, but uh, that would be our next logical step. Then, of course, last week we discussed setting some criteria and having key performance indicators or KPIs. Uh, and these, these are all layers to our approach, in fact, and all no, not, all, no, 
obviously the case. They, they are, in fact, part of our research approach too. They, they help us, by definition, to, to make decisions and understand what our preferences are and what works for us and, and what doesn't. And so they, you know, they're, they're very useful as uh, screening aids and, and tools that we can apply, even before we even consider the more in-depth topic of, uh, of research. But, but let me share with you a couple of examples recently that, um, that really highlight the, the benefit, actually, of having these steps in place even before we start to look at individual deal-based research. So um, what the first situation is, I was, I was pitched by a supplier, and, and this supplier was offering me access to off-plan and offshore deals with the promise of, of great returns, obviously. Uh, because, but because I knew what my purpose was and, and what my long-term goals were, uh, my preferred strategies, I had a set of uh, criteria and KPIs that I was working to. I already knew that these opportunities were, were not really suitable for me and therefore were not worth my time undertaking further research. So having that uh, having that uh, process in place, it saved my it saved me having you know to work through this type of uh, further research to work out the, whether these opportunities were were good or not good because they basically weren't in alignment with my long term goals. And in fact, to be honest, it also saved that supplier because what was the point of me then spending time and asking lots of questions of them if subsequently I was going to pass on the opportunity anyway. So it was it was important just to do that exercise and say no quickly rather than uh, wait and say, say no more slowly. <coughs> However, another area that I was... Uh, also approached in is it was an area I was perhaps a little bit more interested in and that's the there was lease options and lease options is a more advanced strategy uh, and, and, and it allows me to control a property without legally owning it and this of course has some advantages not least of which uh, no need for financing to be arranged because it's already in place and we can you know utilize what is already there now this this forms a part of my overall leveraging goal and strategy which was to consider creative strategies as a means to control more properties with with less you know investment funds so when a trusted contact and I'll say that term again a trusted contact um so bear that uh, phrase in mind for for later um, mentioned that they specialize in finding uh, lease option deals and asked if I would be interested, I already knew that the answer would be yes. So, you know, if you contrast those two illustrations, the process that we've already been through allows us to be, to some extent, to, to identify what is sort of uh, in scope and, and what is sort of out of scope in terms of undertaking further research. And of course, once we know it's in scope, we can then peel off another layer of the onion. So, that would be the first layer, knowing what our purpose and our goals and our criteria and our KPIs and our strategy would be um, before actually looking into individual transactions. But when we start to look at common, you know, individual transactions, there are some common areas that we, we would need to research. Now, there's no right or wrong answers necessarily in terms of where we start researching. What, what's most important is that there are some logical aspects of research in any particular deal that need to be considered. And we need to work through these in, in some form or other. And those headlines, if you like, probably summarized as the commercials of the deal, the location of the deal, the property itself, and any partners, suppliers, and other members of what I call the deal food chain, so to speak. So these are the, these are the aspects that need to be taken into consideration with any particular opportunity once we've got to that stage of looking at opportunities. 
Now, I could make a case for starting with any one of these steps, but it, it matters not really as long as they're all covered. But personally, I, I start with a, a small summary of the first three elements. So that's the commercials, the location and the property. And I've developed my own personalized deal criteria checklist. And in support of this, I have a deal evaluation spreadsheet. So very quickly, I have been able to translate my criteria and my KPIs that we mentioned in the last episode. I have them in uh, written format, uh, in an evaluation format with some calculations to support. And at a very headline level in about half an hour, I can actually pre-screen uh, an opportunity. And this is my first level of research, if you like, when it comes to evaluating uh, an, uh, sorry, an individual deal. And this gives me a go or no-go decision on whether I, I, I wish to proceed to the next level of, uh, of research or not. So for simplicity's sake, let's call this step the deal or no deal um, stage where it's, you know, it's looking at a pre-screen as to whether we want to take it any further. Uh, now the, the subsequent steps we're going to validate whether the any any deal decision that came out of that first stage actually takes place or not. So we're not necessarily committed even if we, we use the term deal at this particular point in time. Now in, in this in this um, deal uh, no deal um, phase, the pre-screen phase, my own personal approach is, uh, is to look at some fairly standard criteria. And for me, they are the, the local population, uh, what I call my star criteria, which I mentioned last time out, which is things like schools, transportation, amenities and revenue uh, in the way of jobs and inward investment. And so I'm actually looking at those uh, aspects in a little bit more depth here just to make sure they fit. Importantly, I need to look at the uh, the rental demand in the local area, and I stress rental demand because just because people are buying houses doesn't necessarily mean that the people are will, uh, tenants are willing to to rent in that location. So differentiate the point. I'm looking for opportunities to add value, whether that be now or in the future. And in my own case, I, I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities to recycle my funds within a, a relatively short period of time. So there's some of the minimum criteria then. I have some financial criteria as well, one of which is a minimum equity target. So that's a pound notes figure that I'm really looking to achieve, achieve out of a transaction. And um, that's come out of experience really that if perhaps a small financial sums involved, even if the percentages sound quite attractive, you know, an unexpected uh, event can actually wipe away an awful lot of that profit margin, um, and, you know, in, in one fell swoop. So usually looking for a reasonable sum, uh, sum of money in that respect. Then, of course, I have my KPIs themselves. So my key metrics would be return on investment, the net monthly cash flow and the payback period to return the investment back to me. And so even if I was to uh, return my you know, my initial investment funds to the tune of, say, 80 percent within up to a year, I'd be interested to know when that remaining 20 percent would come back to me as well. So that, that's going to give me a um, you know, number of items on a list and I'm looking to tick those off as I go through in this pre-screen process and I'm looking for a strong 8 out of 10 as a pass mark if you like. Now it's quite a high bar but it's not 100% and I think it's important to stress that point that it's difficult to find opportunities that meet every single criteria that we ever set. Um, you know, I think I think there needs to be an element of stretch in the in the in the figures uh, and in the criteria. But um, a good strong eight out of ten gets me over the hurdle and into the next phase. And if you like, that's my first level of uh, of research completed at this point in time. 
So we're, we're peeling off the layers, as we mentioned, and um, assuming the property gets past these uh, pre-screen or deal, no deal uh, evaluation criteria, then I proceed on to the next steps. And I really start to work through a list of broader criteria in each of the areas I've mentioned. So um, commercials or the financials, the general location, the property itself, and the people or organizations that I would be dealing with. Now, what we're going to find is uh, some aspects are going to need a little bit more attention than others. So consider, for example, the difference between investing uh, in the same location as a previous deal with a, a similar type of property using the, the same team, I call it the power team, if you like, that we've used before. So, you know, there's a lot of familiarity, a lot of similarity, a lot of repeat that's going on there. So there's going to be less involved in the research, not, not no time, but less time involved in the research for an opportunity such as that. Whereas if, uh, you know, conversely, we're investing in a new location, perhaps with a different type of property, different, type, different team that's involved in the, in the project, then quite clearly there's going to be more steps and more research that's involved. And it, it maybe sounds a bit obvious, but it's worth stating this, particularly at the beginning. And similarly, um, you know, perhaps another way of looking at this is that some investors target specific areas or, or regions and locations, and they do their research at a macro level for that area before drilling down into the individual uh, deal opportunities or the micro level. Now, you know, you can work the other way, which is what I do. I tend to work at the individual deal or micro level and then work out towards the macro level. And I don't think it really matters, but um, it, it, it does rather depend on your specific approach to things like self-sourcing uh, deals and opportunities versus outsourcing and using other people to, to help you. And also your view on concentrated investment and diversification. So these, these are things that will actually determine where you might start. But it's, it's not important where you start. The important thing is, is all of the ground that you, you cover. So, so digging a bit deeper, we have those, those areas to, to consider. And, and one of them, of course, is the, the location itself. Now, if we, we start with the general location, they're, they're gonna for, the, the, the research that I would undertake, as you'll find with all of these steps, is going to fall into two layers, which I'm going to describe as level one and level two research. Now, a level one layer is still easily identifiable by undertaking desk-based research, you know, using some of the tools that I'm going to be referencing in the show notes. Whereas, you know, a level two layer often requires looking a little bit further, possibly engaging other professionals to help us. This could be in the form of solicitors or surveyors, for example, or by enlisting the support of other other people in another way. So, for example, asking the opinions of, of letting agents. So, so breaking it down in terms of the location, um, some examples of level one research might be crime rates and the local demographics and social factors that uh, exist in a particular area. Um, drilling down into my star criteria. So just to give an illustration, whilst the T in star stands for transport, I would have considered general transport links in my pre-screen stage. But actually in this level one phase, I'm now going to be more interested in, okay, so what type of tenant is going to use this, uh, or sorry, use, but live in this property and you know, where they're going to work, how they're going to get to work, how easy will it be? So where's the nearest train station or bus stop or main trunk road, for example, to the property? So I'm looking for a fairly short journey time, whether it's uh, whichever form I'm taking. And, and similarly with employment, you know, who are the main employers? What is the employment rate and those sort of things? So I'm drilling further. I hope you can see the difference. And uh, 
Another another aspect that we can do again quite easily without leaving our desk is to is to have alternative views and pictures of the property. There's lots of tools now like um, you know Google Earth and Street Maps and these types of tools, which allow us to look at properties in in different ways and and see the proximity to different things around them. So these things level one research for the location we can do without leaving leaving home. And in terms of level two. That might be more involved things. So it could be things like planning and licensing restrictions in that particular area. Now it might be that we need to engage with a local landlord um, association or actually probably more realistically the local authority to see what their um, the housing and their rental licensing conditions actually are. Similarly, there could be environmental factors. So this could be things like flood risks or whether the property is in a, um, a former mining area, whether it's close to a recycling centre and those sort of things, because they can have a bearing not just on the value of the property, uh, but also the desirability from a tenant point of view. And if you think it through, similarly, they could have implications for things like, you know, future subsidence issues or uh, uninsurability. You know, that's quite uh, a talking point for floods, for example. And then the next step really in this I could highlight would be issues with regard to neighbours, you know, boundaries and the state of the, the local area and uh, antisocial behaviour and this sort of thing. And then those sort of things are going to come out probably by uh, the, through the, um, the conveyancing process. I nearly forgot the term there, but through the conveyancing process. Now as with location, now we, we also need to look at the property itself. So again we've got a couple of layers that we can work through just as before. And so with the property, um, some examples of, of level one layer might be the general condition of the property. And what we're interested there is, uh, is what type of work we'll need to undertake to get the property into a rentable condition. And that might be what I call a lick of paint job, or it could be a complete refurbishment, or indeed some structural alterations. So we're just trying to understand the scope of works that uh, are going to be needed. And of course, that's going to have financial implications as well. Now, the other thing is, and this can be done quite easily just by looking at a floor plan, is uh, is a space you know optimised in the most effective way? For example, could we add a bedroom or re relocate a downstairs bathroom upstairs, extend, change use, those sorts of things? So again, just um, having some experience and looking at the layout can help us to make that judgment call. And similarly, things like broadband speed, you know, it's worth checking at this phase because so many people are, you know, either for work or leisure purposes, reliant on fast connection speeds now. And then taking it into the next level, level two, or, or the second layer in this particular section, um, this is where we maybe need some help. Um, certainly need to do a little bit of walking around. And so consider the internals of the property, such as the electrics, the, the plumbing and the heating, the, uh, the windows and doors and the condition of those, the, the state of the roof and the guttering and that type of thing. Um, similarly, the, the structure of the building itself, are there any cracks? It does, will the roof need replacing? Um, what additional works are required? Is it advisable to get a full survey, you know, depending on the age of the property, etc. And then, you know, similarly, the outside or the outbuildings, like gardens and garages and parking and sheds and this sort of thing, which can have a bearing on um, 
you know, ease of, of living in the property and maintenance issues and potential neighbour disputes and that type of thing. So with some of those points, we might need to call in builders or surveyors to support us. So that, that would be the next, uh, next stage, logical stage in terms of the property to look at from a research point of view. Now we've looked at the uh, the location generally. We've looked at the property, and and the real fi the final section that we should really seriously consider is um, is the people or the organisations that we're going to be dealing with, and and this is one of the most overlooked aspects perhaps of of the research and due diligence phase that we might uh, we might look at. So many people focus on the individual property and the and the deal itself maybe paying some attention to the local area but often what gets overlooked is is this area of the people we're going to be dealing with and you know I have to say that in this the use the people that we engage with um, at various levels are probably going to help us to make the the promise of uh, of the returns a reality so it's really important to to assess these people and and when you consider that just you know just recently we've seen stories in the in the news headlines we've seen uh, stories of fake solicitors scamming and witting investors We've seen, you know, deal sources who've taken money up front and never, never to be seen again, or letting agents who've been imprisoned for taking clients' money instead of obviously passing it through to them. You know, so these are scary stories, and and they make for for great headlines, obviously for the media. But uh, they are just that headlines, and uh, they don't always tell the whole picture. And the majority of the industry, you know, from my experience, is that people tend to operate to fairly, fairly good professional standards. Um, but you know, just like buying a used car, there's certain checks that we need to undertake beforehand to eliminate some of the risks. And that's certainly the case that I'm advocating here in terms of property investment. It's no different. So everyone that's going to be involved in our property investment business should be screened and that, you know, be that a tenant, a supplier, a professional advisor or some other form of business partner. So for business partners and, and following our theme of the layers, we can adopt a two level approach to help peel back the levels, levels a bit more. Sorry, the layers a bit more. Um, personally, I want to know who I'm dealing with and this depends on the level of engagement that um, that I would have for these particular people. So um, how would we you know, investigate from a, a level one layer point of view? Well, perhaps the first thing we can do is work on referral and recommendation from people we know. Um, and if we don't know directly, perhaps they're in our wider network. But of course, it's important that they themselves, whoever's recommending, has a good reputation themselves. Otherwise, their recommendation is worthless. Similarly, we can undertake a, a Google search on an, any individual or any company involved that we're dealing with. And if it's a company, I'd certainly uh, advocate you know, doing a search against the, uh, the directors or the partners of that business in a similar way. And in addition to just searching on their names or the company name, I, I would also in, encourage an alternative uh, search term, putting the word scam or review at the end of the search term. And that's probably going to narrow down some... Um, some of the options that come out on Google. Now, um, I'm going to advocate going, you know, three to five pages deep at least when we're looking at uh, people uh, we're searching on Google, because often the the scammers are the cleverest and they can help to bury bad news by just churning out a bunch of good news. So um, sometimes some of the bad news gets buried and pushed back several pages deep. So always have a look a few pages deep, and if you find a few pages of uh, references and names and and this sort of thing listed for an individual company, then it's perhaps worth digging a bit deeper because maybe there's more to the story than initially meets the eye. 
Another place, of course, is to check in with uh, other property investors, whether they're known to you or otherwise. And the property forums and property networking groups are, are good to do that. But always bear in mind something I was referring to uh, earlier is, you know, someone that you, you yourself can trust, a reliable source, if you like. So make sure that you can rely on the uh, on the on the insights and the recommendations of other people. Now, in the level two aspect, what we can then intend to do is to meet people face to face and ideally at their own premises, you know, just to very verify that they are who they say they are and we can check the way they're organized and how they conduct themselves and that sort of thing. Most reputable companies would have no problem with uh, that type of approach. And similarly, um, we can go further in terms of looking in into particularly organizations, but there's tools called judil.com which is D-U-E-D-I-L, com, and Companies House um, is, you know, for example, and that can help to see how companies are, are trading, what their financial position is, what their credit worthiness is, whether they're up to date with their filings, who the directors are, and, and those sorts of things, and give clues to any potential past corporate failures. And I guess another thing that we could potentially do in this area is what I call mystery shopper exercises. Now, that's posing to be, you know, um, somebody else. So if we're um, a landlord looking to use a letting agent, for example, we can uh, also uh, either ourselves or ask somebody else to put a call into that same letting agency as a potential tenant and just, just assess, really, the difference in the treatment that we get from each one. And another good question is what the different rent levels in an area would be. It'd be interesting to see if we get a different response uh, in that respect, too. Now, I was asked recently from, from a fairly new investor, is how do you know who to trust when you're fairly new or new to property or new to an area or a particular business supplier? And so the steps I've outlined above, whilst they're not exhaust, exhaustive, will, will help actually to put your mind at rest. But, um, but so too could enlisting the support of what I call a trusted advisor. Now, a trusted advisor is someone that perhaps knows more than you do right now or someone who can plug your gaps. You know, I know my strengths are, for example, and I have a trusted advisor who I've known for many, many years who um, plugs my gaps and, and has got different strengths to me. So this person, they could be a friend, they could be a contact, uh, it could be a business associate or a mentor even. So, you know, ha have potential an eye on looking for a trusted advisor, particularly in the early phases, I would suggest. Now, the person I've mentioned who helps me a lot, um, I've known him for over 20 years, I, I, I trust him implicitly, and um, his particular strength uh, complements mine, I say complements nicely, he's much more in, uh, in the know, if you like, in terms of the detail of handling projects and building and that's building works and this sort of thing. So he's, he's actually helped me an awful lot uh, before, during and after a project to not only save me money, but really importantly, to save my peace of mind. So, you know, it's not essential by any means to have what I call a trusted advisor. But, um, you know, if it's, you know, follow the steps I've outlined above, you know, and potentially have a trusted advisor. And that's going to help you. But possibly the, the biggest thing that's going to help you is your own gut instinct, in all honesty. So learn to, to develop and trust your gut instincts. And what I would say is if it, if it feels wrong, then it probably is. And it's probably worth taking a, a wide berth in this respect.
So um, I'm going to make some reference to some of the tools that I use um, to undertake some of my own research and due diligence. And, and that's going to be mentioned in the show notes rather than sort of going on at length here. But um, you can look at the show notes to see that sort of thing. But what I've, what I've attempted to do in this, this episode is to outline some of the steps that, that we can take when undertaking our own research and, and due diligence. And uh, to follow this uh, multi-level or multi-layered approach that I've been, I've been talking about. And, you know, to follow another fictional character's advice, um, what we might call the Goldilocks approach. Um, so the not too much and the not too little, but the just right balance between uh, too little research and too much research is really what we're aiming at here. So between getting the research porridge just right and peeling back the layers of the onion gradually, I hope that I've given you a little bit of a flavour for approaching the topic of property research. Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> fair enough. That was my attempt to uh, to lighten up the topic a little bit. So there we go. But um, So having mixed Shrek and Goldilocks into a podcast episode on property research, I really would be interested to hear about your tales right now. So um, why don't you just pop over to the propertyvoice.net uh, podcast page, find the show notes for today's episode, and uh, just drop a comment in the comments box uh, with your top tips or your favorite research tools. I, I really would love to hear them from you. Up next is your voice. It's all about you and your property world. I must start the Your Voice segment today by briefly reading out a very kind listener review um, that I received on iTunes. And uh, you have no idea, actually, uh, how much difference having reviews and ratings on iTunes helps. It, 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 part of their algorithm is that reviews and ratings help uh, promote the show, especially for, for new podcasters who otherwise might struggle to get uh, visibility in a crowded landscape. So I'm very, very grateful um, that you know by these reviews, other people will get to hear about the show and, um, and hopefully will benefit from, from what I'm trying to achieve here. So here's a five-star review that's, that's coming from, uh, from Mogsy Morris, who says, great opener. Nice one, Richard. Around the world, opening whistle-stop podcast of property like the review of all the strategies they really there really is at least one strategy for everyone i look forward to the next episode so well mogsy i can tell you that i'm very very grateful for those kind words and of course that five star rating and um, I, I really am i mean this when i say i'm humbled and grateful to have uh, have you with us and have that review to to help more people become aware of the show but i'm not going to bang on about my reviews too much uh, i'm sure you know the score but if you could, you know, give some time or set yourself a reminder to, to, to write a review, and I know it's a little bit of a pain with the iTunes process, but it would help me a lot, and uh, it would help the show a lot, um, because the, the early weeks of, uh, of the show, um, you know, to grow the listener base, reviews are such an important part to get more and more people and get more credibility behind it. So I think enough said. I think you know what to do, and I'd really love to hear from you, and I'll read out your five-star reviews on the show as we go as well. So there, there are more coming up, but uh, for now, that's that's that. So um, next up on your voice, there, there's a number of ways in which you can be heard. Reviews, of course, is is one of them. And uh, last week we heard a voicemail recording from from Andy, who was asking about the the general election, and that actually, fun enough, that uh, question prompted me to um, to to pose a, a, a question, a one question survey. <laughs> I like to keep things simple, a one question survey, which I posted up there on the on the blog. By all means. Go, go and answer it and have your say. And that the question was simply, which party will lead the next UK government in May? 
And so far, the results from those that have responded would suggest um, quite emphatically at the moment that the Conservatives will at least have some part to play, with something like 71% uh, of you suggesting a Conservative-led coalition, a further 14% saying Conservatives outright. Um, the only other real vote got uh, was was 14% for Labour. So um, I don't know how reflective that is. It's really just a little bit of fun. But um, go over there and, and just cast your vote. And if you really want to be a bit wacky, there's an other section where there's a free free format. So I dread to think what you might write, but you could write other things in that particular box as well. And why not? I may have to do a bit of editing, but we'll see. <laughs> so the big question is, will they be right? Have a look next time. And now, where you can go for more great resources with the shout-out. So in the shout-out section, I mentioned at the top of the show that I was a, I was initially a little bit tempted to keep this one to myself, if I'm really honest. And I know that's not a great admission to make, but uh, knowledge is for sharing. And so I've decided to to let go of my inner child and instead share with you this uh, this excellent and, and compelling game. It's an it's an online game, uh, but it's educational and it's aimed at adults. Don't worry, and it's uh, it's it comes from the rich dad poor dad community and it's the cash flow game. Um, there's you've probably heard of Cashflow 101 if you've read the book. Uh, you may have seen the board game. It's hard to get in the UK, and um, indeed the book. Uh, well, a series of books covers some of the principles that uh, Robert Kiyosaki shares from Rich Dad Poor Dad, and and this game really uh, the idea is to capture that. So it's a it's a fun way to learn. It's pretty addictive as well, I have to tell you. So uh, don't blame me if you get wrapped up and, and take so long uh, playing playing with the game, will you? But um, when I when I first had a look, um, actually the second on my second attempt, I made it all the way through. I forgot the term actually. It was a little while since I last did it, but I made it all the way through and won the game. Um, and so you're wondering, why didn't I do it first time? And well, the reason is first time around, I was a little bit reckless, let's just say. And I think I was trying to break the game and just test it out. But um, part of the way through, I was, I don't know if you've ever played Monopoly, but um, you can see the painful end of bankruptcy looming in Monopoly. And, and this game was a little bit like that. So it wasn't that much fun the first time I played it. So second time around, I decided to knuckle down and follow the right principles and do what I believed I should have done. Of course, I, I went out. And, you know, I just think it's a really helpful game. It teaches in a fun way, in an alternative way, some of the principles that are outlined in the book. So there we go. It's, uh, it is a bit uh, addictive, so don't blame me if you lose all your lunch hours spending, uh, spent on the game. But uh, today's shout-out has to go to the Rich Dad Poor Dad online game of Cashflow. Uh, Cashflow, rather. And why not, is what I say. So there we have it. It's uh, another show wrapped up. There it is for another week. I hope that you've enjoyed the show. We talked about research. I tried to make it whistle stop and, and interesting and even throw in a few, um, you know, uh, fairy tales along the way just to kind of uh, to bring it to bring it into a little bit of life. But why not get over to the uh, thepropertyvoice.net, join in the discussion, drop some comments in there, and, and don't forget to send us in your the, the your voice contributions either. So surely you've got a, a story to tell, a funny story, or perhaps a bit of a moan or a gripe about what's gone on in property in your life, or, or just a question that you'd like me to pose. It doesn't have to be intellectual, really, it doesn't, um, but just get engaged. We'd really love to hear. But in the meantime, until the next time on the Property Voice podcast, ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.